Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is dead on 7.30 and that's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy and first up we have to welcome Virginia Haywood in the studio. Morning, Virginia. Good morning, Pam. And boy, it was cold coming in. I can get so confused. It's been nippy mornings. Yes, I, I, I have to say I'm pleased. If I wasn't so obsessed with gardening, I'd probably complain and talk about summer, but the sight of a little bit of rain and I'm ecstatic. I think, oh, good, the garden's safe for a little bit longer. Oh, that's how I felt because mm. I, I was, I mean, earlier in the week I was having to water like crazy and then that rain came and I thought, oh, thank goodness. Mm. But honestly, if you dig down even just an inch, it's so dry. It's well, powder dry. It's... When I try and put anything in now, I'm out with the pickaxe. Yep. And that's not good for my shoulder. No, that's not good. <laughs> I and it's not sh- good for the soil. I think you should refrain now Absolutely. from planting till autumn. Well, I've got a whole lot of things in pots, small things that right. I've propped, and I've I've bought a metre of soil and put them all into all the pots into a great big thing of soil. All right, just to keep them yep cool and and a bit good damp. idea because mm. it's hard to keep up with watering pots. It's impossible this time of year. Impossible. Yep. I just can't see the point of pots. It's too hard for people who yep. live in a climate like this. Yep, that's where I feel mm. for, for our good friends come sitting and live here. At, come and live at my place with 4,000 of the rotters. <laughs> you must spend your whole day watering pots, Graham. No, no, no. We've got it down to a fine art. We can do it in, in an hour and three quarters. Wow. And it's with the, with the proper dram head, Yep, which is really good. When a lot of gardeners see that, they say, hey, mate, can you get them for me? And we, you know, we have them. Yep. And it's on the hose and you put it pot, 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 pot. Pot, pot. And about 50% of human beings can coordinate themselves to water pots and 50% can't. It's amazing to watch people when you say, oh, go and water some pots. This is what you do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the sprinkle brigade is big. (laughs) I should introduce you properly, Graeme, of course. um, Graeme Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clombernane. But you you were telling me, I mean, we we heard from Diana... Uh, a couple of weeks ago about the massive frost uh, yes. that wiped out a whole lot of plants in your garden, but you're saying you've had another three frosts. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. We, we just acquired some valerian, valerian spray yep. from biodynamic uh, bi- um, um, people at Ballinger, New South Wales. All right. They're, they're really becoming um, really switched on with what they're making available to gardeners, which is really good. And you can pay pay a garden gardening subscription, and they have a great magazine, four magazines a year. Right. They have some information in that those magazines that is really very very amazing and interesting. A lot of overseas research and things like that. Okay. Um, and valerian. Getting back to the subject, um, valerian with some liquid seaweed in it, spray it on uh, the night before, and it'll protect against frost, protect the flowers on potatoes and things like that. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So um, that's it, sort of it's a weed in my garden. Valerian. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the one of the herbs that's used extensively in um, biodynamics. Right. Yeah. Really good protection. Okay. Yep. Well, I think it's used for humans to relax them a bit more, mm. help mm-hmm. them get to sleep. So you must have very relaxed roses. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Got to have them relaxed. <laughs> 
Okay, we also have to say a very good morning to Karen Sutherland. Morning, Karen. Good morning. I'm, I'm over here giggling away to, about the watering because I've, I've often um, set people to water things. And, and I still remember being an apprentice gardener at the zoo and being instructed by the grumpy old um, Italian nursery manager to uh, water properly or, you know, he was supervising. There was no way I wasn't going to learn to water properly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hello, Joe. I don't know if he's still around. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I, d- I doubt it. Um, so, yes, yeah, watering is a fine art. Yes. And, yeah, and I'm listening very intently to the um, information about valerian sprays and I love, I'm so happy that Graham's on today because I can, you know, get, get a few more yeah. tips on um, interesting new we – we were talking about that actually as in – where do you get your information from, Graham? And he was mentioning a few. Oh, he's, he's talked about one this morning, but he, he mentioned another one to me as well. Where some of the articles that he gets his information about unusual uses of sea soil or or, mm. or farming or agricultural practices, because it is sometimes hard to find some mm. of the newer information. Oh, it so, is. Yeah. Um, I find the land paper that's put out in for, from uh, Fairfax. Yes. Land paper in New South Wales, but it comes down to Victoria. That's got some really good information in it, and. Um, there's uh, a good portion of the investigative journalism that they still uh, hold dear to and uh, not stuff pumped out of the computer where someone sits on their backside in an office and just looks at a screen. Looks at a computer, do, exactly. Do it the lazy yep. bit. Yeah. Um, and there's also uh, some information in a farmer, farmer's magazine that comes out into our area that's for free, which is a, not a magazine, a paper. Well, you're lucky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that... <laughs> That paper's available all um, through um, throughout um, Melbourne, right? In in um, in various news agents and places like that, and that comes out once a month, and that's got some inf- good information in it as well. Okay. And the and the ABC, and the I ABC. think both Saturday True. mornings mm. at six o'clock, mm-hmm. mm. and Landline. Oh, mm. Landline's Landline, excellent. Landline, yes, yeah, you're wonderful. Right, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yep. And uh, yeah, three AW or the old three AW, yeah, uh, uh, with Jane Edmondson. Yes, yes. It's worth listening yeah. to. Yeah. Filter mm. out the stuff. <laughs> Got to be a good filter. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be a very good filter. That's all ads. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. Well, uh, would you believe it? I actually have no community announcements this week. Everyone's sort of finished up for the year. It's so um, Christmas wow. time. Yes. yes, it's really showing. And, of course, I should remind listeners that uh, next Sunday is going to be our last program from, for the year. And uh, then we're taking a break uh, because I think most of us need to be home watering our gardens, <laughs> if not for anything else. So, And then we'll be back on the first Sunday in February. So we are having a bit of a break. Uh, but, yes. Um, it is interesting with the watering because they say that our dams are down to 50%. Mm. That's, they've started to talk on the radio about that again, haven't they? Mm. It's been, I, I pricked up my ears and thought, oh, no. <laughs> well, I, I, I happen to know um, a farmer who's uh, in Castlemaine and he has just been in total drought for so long, it's ridiculous. He's got mm. no water in his dams, and it's just crazy. It's, awful. Mm. it's really bad. Mm. So That's um, such a dry area too, Castle yes. I don't know how they really garden up there. They've got no soil to speak of. Yes. <laughs> and then coupled with the fact that it just doesn't seem to rain up there. Yes. It's no, it's, it's shocking. I mean, well, you'd probably see it up your way, Graham, would you? Well, yeah, we've got clay pan soils to deal with. Yes. And same at Castle Main. You know, I go over there a bit myself and I look at that, you know, all gold country has that sort mm. of well, really that's right. hard stuff. Yes. Um, and people, if, if they're going to dig, you've got to do it in the wintertime. Mm. Yeah, you know, that, that's the best way to go. Mm. And if you start, look at watering, water of, of an evening, you'll get much better um, um, Value for your money if you water of an evening, 
than you, what you will in the morning. And um, we've got some trees in our garden, which we put in since the fires, um, that we have to keep the water up to, especially in this dry weather. But we, we dry soak them and then we'll put the mulch on, on around, the, around the trees themselves. Yep. So um, um, it, it's getting a soaking and, and, and getting real um, – the, the best time to do it, as I said, is of an evening. Mm. If you can. Actually, speaking of mulching too, the other thing we've found, which it, I suppose other gardeners have too, is that you can't, you just can't put mulch on too thickly anymore. No. Because there's very small amounts of rain that you might be lucky enough. Like Virginia got so excited, she was saying about the tiny bit of rain. It really wasn't that much, <laughs> Not, um, just enough to annoy you, kind of thing. But if you had, if your mulch is too thick, it just doesn't get through anymore. That's right. So but I, it's difficult I've, to get that. That's compromise. I started mm. mulching some of my garden early because my garden's so damn big. It takes me ages. I still haven't really finished. The fiddly bits, but um, the bits that I mulched early, the soil is just so cool and and mm. and damp. Whereas mm. the stuff that I've forgotten about, it's mm. just gone rock hard, mm. red and and rock hard. And what do you mulch with, Virginia? I always use pastel. Yep. And people okay. say, oh, I don't. Th- it looks messy, and but I find the sugarcane mulch just forms a mat mm. that rain can't get through. Yep. And mm. I also find when you first put it on, it just blows away if it gets mm. windy because it's too small. And and then people don't like the peas growing up in the pea straw. Well, I can't think of anything it's better. Not that yeah. bigger drama, yeah. but also oh. difficult to pull out. Yeah. And, and it's a free fix, harvest. They're yeah. fixing your nitrogen. Yeah, nibble, yeah. nibble, pull out. <laughs> yeah, but all those all those shoots. Mm. I mean, I just pick them off and toss them in a salad, and then mm. I've been eating peas mm. from some of the pods. <laughs> and why not? It's it's free. Yeah. <laughs> but more, but more than anything, it's fixing nitrogen in your soil. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So mm. it's great. Mm. Yeah. Why would you complain? Mm. Yep. And I, yeah, I, I suppose some people think it doesn't look nice. I, I don't mind the look. I th- and, and whatever you use, once say, it's I think everywhere, you've got you use. Yeah. A bit and like once it's everywhere, it def- that is the look. Mm. You know. Mm. And I don't like using bark because it doesn't break down quickly, and my soil is as hard as hard in summer. Oh, yeah, and I, I want the I extra know, food. Um, for officially, it. they officially you. You know, officially in horticulture, they say um, nice, loose, um, big, chunky pieces of bark are supposed to be the supposed to be uh, the best kind of mulch because they allow water through, yet they prevent weeds germinating, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I don't like anything that doesn't break down, down. into the soil. No, exactly. I'd rather replace more frequently and yes. have my soil built up. Mm. So yeah, we when the prices of the even the green waste going to any kind of tips or whatever we have to take um, garden waste to for, from landscaping and gardening jobs went up significantly in the last year or so. It was a perfect excuse to buy a half-decent mulcher, as in not a little mini one but a Proper. You know, mm. $1,200 type, type one. And that has been the best thing ever. Take it along to a, to a seasonal maintenance job or, or a first clearing out for a landscape job. Mulch all of that down, and it's not just bark. That's the good thing. It's it's leaves, leaves and bark. Yeah. And as long as you put them through at a good ratio of sticks and leaves mm. and things, it doesn't get too clogged mm. up. And it's just phenomenal the difference it makes. For one thing, you're not even even though green waste is you know at least going to la- um, going to green waste facilities and then coming back again. That's still more transport. That's so right. now we've been able to actually uh, close the loop, so to speak, in that way, and just take the mulcher there, 
put it all back on people's gardens. And it makes a significant difference when you go back because of that nice rotting down. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, they just they don't need to buy mulch then because it goes back on the garden. And I've been using that in my garden as well, just mulching, mulching, mulching. And well, Sue was given one. Sue who <coughs> comes in here occasionally, she was given one last Christmas and she just swears by it. She puts everything through it, puts a lot of her weeds through it The as main well. thing is to get the, a, a really decent site. Like if you're not spending yeah. $1,000, forget it. They're just useless. It doesn't yeah, waste just, time. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they really are a big help to the big burn to the garden. Well, one of my problems is I've got such big burn piles. Oh, oh, yes. Well, then it gets to the stage where you get past the mulching stage. You need a really big mulcher. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, but I could, I could actually, if I had a decent mulcher, I could mulch quite a lot. That's oh, you don't, in my you don't burn have it. You definitely. No. I, I have, should speak to you about mulcher types. <laughs> I had an old mulcher that was mm. just too small for a three-acre garden, you know. Yeah. No, uh, this, this one, well, I was recommended this one by good friends that live out at Monbolk. So they, I don't know if they have three acres, but they have a big garden. Mm. And, um, yeah, he just said, oh, this is fantastic. This is the mulcher. Which so. one is it? Which brand? It's the... Uh, They've, it's one of those things, a bit like food dehydrators, where they keep changing the names of things. I think probably brought out by different companies, but it's essentially Yardmate. I think you'll find or ha- Yardmate. I think is its name. Um, and then you can get two different variations on the motor. You can get Briggs and Stratton or um, Honda. And I think we went with Honda, which was kind of counterintuitive because as an apprentice garden we were taught Briggs and Stratton was the best kind mm. but yeah anyway it was slightly more I just got the most expensive one basically the mm. most expensive motor I mm. think it was $1,400 my mulcher mm. you can occasionally see them for twelve or 1300 and it's quite big like to get it up on the back of my ute I can't do it by myself put it that way it's, it's heavy it's got a nice pull thing on the back but uh, so you kind of need two people my partner made up some amazing welded thing that I could that people he said oh you'll be able to just load this up into the back of the tow bar yourself it's like yeah right (laughs) (laughs) mulch your weight my weight and that's not going to (laughs) work but other people can get it on there so yeah look it's been terrific I'm pretty sure it's yard made I might have to look that up again but um yeah you you can find them but only in the larger like you won't find them in the city areas where you're not looking there I suppose but um, it makes a terrific difference to um, I mean, you can take a huge pile of green waste that we would have taken away for someone and instead you condense it down into a very small amount of mulch. Exactly. Mm. But it goes straight back onto the garden. Well, for me, you see, if, if, if I could mulch stuff, I'd, put, I'd mulch into my compost as well. Oh, there's that as well, yes. Because my compost yes. is out of control because I haven't been mulching. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's just got too much oh, sticky rubbish in it. And actually, it's a good point to mention that there are like this, like there's differences of opinion of oh no, you shouldn't, you know, no more planting this time of year. And then others like myself who who do this professionally kind of have to keep planting, so you have to find tactics. But with mulching, there's people who, of course, would think oh no, you just can't put anything that's freshly mulched onto a garden. But I, I'm in the other camp that always has. And as long as you follow, again, you have to follow certain protocols. So you don't pile up fresh mulch around a tender annual or something like that or a, or a young tree trunk you have to keep them away from tree trunks and just don't put it on too thickly and mm. I have never had a problem from from that kind of situation you I mean you don't mulch diseased product but e- start. even the people that say you can't use green mulch will say if you use green mulch just a bit of blood and bone will make the difference because your only problem is nitrogen drawdown and if well I suppose what I'm saying is when you've got enough leaf in it you don't yes. have that. It's not an issue. It's yes. fantastic. I find it builds up the soil magnificently mm. for people. Mm. And always, I think that's our question. I mean, this continent has got notoriously poor soils because mm. we didn't have volcanic activity as late as the rest of the world. Mm. So anything we can do that both keeps the stuff there, isn't being carted around, 
and mm. actually feeds the soil has to be a good thing. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Mulching is, 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 is the first basic of gardening and, and it's so important for people to do it regularly because we can never discount earthworms. Mm. And, but often we get people come to, to our nursery and say, oh, I haven't got any earthworms in my garden. But hang on a minute, mate. They breed between May and October. Okay, so you'll start to get them come to the surface and you'll see them more then. But after that, they nick off because they've got brains. <laughs> they go into the subsoil where it's cooler and they can move around in that, in that, in that area. So um, if you've got mulch in, on the garden, and we basically use pea straw. Diana gets stuck in me. I buy um, straw. I make sure it's wheat and straw. But that, there's a trap in that. Um, we, we've introduced some weed seeds oh. from various grasses. Right. And... Um, You've got to make sure that where you pick up the straw from, it's clean. Yes. Like it's away from the weed seeds. Yes. Um, but if you use barley straw or oat straw, mate, it'll be in the garden and gone in a month because it's so, so soft. and hasn't got enough silica in the, in the actual fronds of the, of the um, straw itself. But wheat, wheat and straw has got more silica in it. It's harder, mm. so it'll last longer. Mm. And open mulch is natural. To, if you watch Mother Nature, um, she has an open mulch. Yes. That, you know, comes in with eucalyptus leaves, yes, leaves and all, all that sort of thing. Yes, all your leaf litter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I never bother about, about green mulch. We've just had four loads um, sent to our place from friends who are uh, arboriculturalists, and that's really We all good. like arboriculturalist friends, yeah. don't we? Yeah. <laughs> They're very um, Hello out there, tree surgeon friends. <laughs> oh, it's open with, with some leaf material in, in, in bark. Yep. Mm. Um, one trap we fell into, we used paper. I'm never going to do that again. I'm now looking in the garden, digging around. Hey, mate, this is all matted down. The moisture mm. hasn't got through. Mm. I think and if you're going to use it like you, like making no dig beds and things like that, it's just keeping it so wet. But in a large scale garden, it's, it can be really mm. difficult to, some, to keep some it wet. edges That's the issue, isn't or it? places where we wanted to get rid of. We had some daylilies in the garden; they become a weed, mm. and so we covered them with paper. Yep, and th- that'll be gone probably in about eighteen months. It'll take that long, but we've managed to kill off all those bulbs. Mm. Really? But, that's yeah. pretty amazing in that time. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Um, and we, we I've, started papered over, I've papered over um, the oxalis mm-hmm. for the same reason. Mm. For 18 but, months? That would take two years or 18 months, wouldn't it, as well? Or? Yeah. I just do it every year. when yeah. the Right, yes. Yeah. I, I, I pull out bul- what bulbs I can and then I just put paper over mm. it so it's yeah. sort of massively discouraged. We yeah. could have a very, I could have a long oxalis conversation with you. It would be boring. So I won't <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I've had many oxalis strategies myself. Yes. <laughs> I've tried quite a few. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> paper, paper didn't succeed. I've even actually literally <laughs> sieved the soil. I, I did that as well. I yeah. tried an experiment. That me too. Mine doubled in number. Yes, so did mine. <laughs> and, 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 and glyphosate won't work on it? No. I'm no. not, I can't, I don't, I refuse. Well, yeah. put what it I that fa- way. What I yeah. found I was you think so much. It's no yeah. different than just pulling them off at the surface, and that was my strategy. I found in the end, <coughs> excuse me, was just removing them at the surface every year. I think if you cut it, it at the surface, them. you're weakening the plant. That's exactly what I'm and, doing. Yeah. But you're not disturbing all the little bulbs. Exactly, because that. Makes and I think worse. that's yeah where the problem yeah. is. So from yeah. now on, I'm just going to just them. And the other clue for that kind of oxalis depends on which kind of oxalis. But the south sob one with the yellow flower, which would be all gone now. But um, when it's up above ground, of course, you've got all the energy of the bulb above mm. ground when it's flowering. And so yep. then, if you can bear to leave it till then, that's what I was doing. 
ripping it off. Leaving it till it flowers, yes. Yeah. 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 And then yeah. That really starves it pretty stuck quickly. Yeah. yeah. And then out competing it, I was just growing things that were just taller than than oxalis plants so that they didn't have a chance to get through. <laughs> eventually eventually you do win with it. Yeah, you do. Mm. Yeah. It's Slowly. pretty demoralising when you've just done the sieving, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Very. <laughs> And I thought, this time I've got oh, it. I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I've got all these pots of oxalis. I've got all these beautiful oxalis. Oh, that's, that was another pots. tactic I went to. I thought, okay, if I've got this oxalis problem, maybe I should just embrace oxalis and learn about them. So then I started collecting rare I've got oxalis some beautiful varieties. Oxalis, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're lovely, aren't mm. they? Really pretty. I can't believe that oxalis could be beautiful. And I, I really can. Can. The one that I've got one in flower at the moment, which is the one that comes up from the snowy mountains. I mean, we've got native oxalis. Yeah, yeah. And it's really oh, pretty. I don't know it's that one, tiny. Yeah, it's only, it's got a tiny leaf. Oh, and I must a tiny little it. white flower. It's as oh, sweet as. Mm. In five years' time, you're going to come here and say, oh, that invaded my whole garden. Oh, my no, goodness. No, you keep them in pots. <laughs> but, also, but also, Graham, not yeah. a hope because I'm not yeah. nearly as high as Buller, which no. is where it comes from. Yes. Mm. You know, really? so, so, yeah, I, I have to keep the water up to it. I've got it sitting in water at the moment. Oh, um, you're sorry. an oxalis fiend. You're a worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, does anybody know... Um, so excuse my um, ignorance here, but wood sorrel, that, is that an oxalis or not? I think it is, isn't it? I just can't remember. I don't, th- I don't think so. Oh, okay, wood sorrel. It has a similar little leaf. And white flowers? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, this is just something I saw in Switzerland and, this, okay. and my um, niece's husband was picking it when we were walking through the forest and saying this is, it has a really strong lemony flavour. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's why it gets called wood sorrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, this is not research. This is just remembering. Oh, yes. It is noxalis. Oh, there you go. There you well, go. There, there's, there's a nice tasty one because they used to pick it and just, he puts it in salads. He's a chef and he puts it in salads sometimes for oxalis people just to give a... Griffithii. Thank you very much. See Virginia? how it sneaks up on you. You get you get, a, <laughs> get an inspiration. Suddenly you're eating it's it. It's got a lemon flavour. <laughs> you got to find some use for this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Many of the species are known as wood sorrels. Aha. Uh-huh. Right. I know because it's a bit difficult when you're translating from Swiss, big Swiss German to no botanical in between yes, English. Because <laughs> proper sorrel is rumex, isn't it? Uh, oh yes, rum, yeah, mm. sorrel that we. Um, you know, culinary sorrel is remix. Yeah. And how tough is? Um, I just planted some yesterday for some for some a client. Some um, red dock, or the uh, oh, I guess called something else as well. There's some a couple of names. Anyway, the beautiful red vein dock yes. remix, and it's just love. so hardy. I love that. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Very pretty. Yeah. I love it. Red vein dock. That, that's yes. that dock like yeah. leaf. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 Gorgeous plant. Why do chefs love it? The the colour. The colour mm. on the plate. Oh, really? Doesn't yes. doesn't really taste like much in particular. Just no, a bit lemony no. or but it looks spectacular. They just use it as a garnish. I usually. can't get my chooks to eat it. Especially as baby leaves. Okay. Oh, mine like it. it mine must love be it. Rubbish if the oh, chooks won't eat it. Actually, okay. I um in this in the um, theme of letting things you know go you know letting things happen in your garden so then you see what happens and sometimes when you just don't get a chance to do anything um the the red dock or <laughs> you know you learn so much from yeah, those yeah, things yeah. So, yeah. and then just observe Seems like a good idea at the time yeah, or, or you just don't get a chance to do anything and later on you think oh that's interesting i didn't know that um so the red dock all has gone to seed which of course like rhubarb and things like that if you wanted to keep the leaves better you didn't won't let it you do that, that off, but yeah. it's interesting that it has managed to do that for a couple of years and still continue to leaf not as much but you know but i ended up breaking off the top bits gradually and giving one each day to the chickens and they love the seeds. Mm-hmm. They go mm. crazy for them. So okay. Okay. that's a little treat. It's, yeah. such, it's such a pretty yeah. plant. Gorgeous plant. Do you, where yeah. do you grow yours? 
Um, well, I've been growing. It grows really well in semi-shade because, of course, I have mm. so much of that. Um, I it, think I've got mine yeah. in a little bit too much sun. Oh, yeah. Actually, the bits that have um, self-seeded, cause, because I have let it go to seed, then it does pop up here and there from bits I've moved, bits of soil I've moved around. It comes up everywhere. Not everywhere, but just here and there. You think just enough that you can propagate them and, and move them on to other people, basically. Um, you know, maybe a dozen plants a year, which is nothing. Um, they they get really a really harsh look to their leaves in full sun, so they need a bit of – they don't want the afternoon sun or mm. full sun. No. Yeah, I haven't yeah. got afternoon sun on it, but I think I've got a bit too much morning. And they get lovely, lush, long leaves, you know, say, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a foot or more high in in a nice shady spot. They like moisture like a regular dock, but they seem to be relatively hardy like a regular dock because they put down their deep tap roots presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I got yeah. it from my neighbour. I've got a neighbour who, she's quite elderly, but is a great gardener and has got some very unusual things. And I got it from her. And I think it's I think it's so handsome. Mm. It's really pretty. Yeah. And then you see this little seedling come up and you think, mm. oh, that looks like red dog. I don't know how it got there. but Well, that, one of the great. things about mm. mulching, I find, is that I, a lot of my Maybe garden, that's how. <laughs> <laughs> Back to mulching. <laughs> well, of course, there is always that, but... But yeah, I rely like on circle. My, I rely on my garden to seed. I've got exactly a lot of things exactly. in it that seed, and I want them to seed. Actually, funnily enough, that's the only because I have been so busy from getting you know from being a bit behind from getting back from travelling and and just you know being ridiculously busy workwise. And one of the, the best tomatoes I have in my garden at the moment are the ones that self seeded. Yes, mm, always it, mm. from my roof, from the garage roof, in down into my aquaponics area. I kid you not. Uh, from, probably from a rat eating a tomato or something, dropped it on, or a bird, dropped it into the gravel. It grew mm. into the, you know, clay pellets. And they're absolutely lush and healthy. And the other ones I've got that, you know, I've kind of half planted or meant to plant or, or must do something with that, and they look atrocious. But these self-seeded <laughs> ones, I thought, I think I need to tie these up because they actually might be my best tomatoes. Well, they're survivors. <laughs> yeah, they're so healthy. Yes. It's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I'm, I'm getting that's self-seeded again, which I'm delighted about, is silverbeet. Oh, lovely. Yes. I think yours are coming up already, self-seeded yes. again. Oh, yes. oh mine, are in, mine are in full seed. But you know, yeah, they're a good too. seedling stage. Oh, yeah. But my silver beet is a weed. It marches down oh, through my got lemon orchard. Yes. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I have well, to rely on actually mowing it to keep we, it in order. We, we well, next time I come in with you, I'll put in an order. <laughs> we can grow silver beet in our cold climate in the winter mm. and we can get scads of it. I chop it all up. A lot of it I chop up, they don't give you the chooks, and put in the compost. Right. And re- recirculate it through the compost. Mm. Yep. And it's, and it's a great thing to grow in, in, in the winter mm. for that reason. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't get enough like you two do. I, I run out of it. That's why I've been feeding the chickens dock. I thought, oh, I wonder if they'll eat this. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking at my silver beet and I'm thinking, no way, I haven't got enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we continue, it is high time we invited our listeners to join us. Um, if you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning or join in this discussion, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155. We have Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design. We've got uh, Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clombenane and Virginia Haywood, who's also guide at the Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne, um, which I should say is Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria. I know. Yes. Oh, when did that happen? Oh, just recently. Oh, okay. And our uniforms have changed. Oh, have they? I'm oh, no. really so not changed. happy. <laughs> it's red. <clears throat> what? 
They've it's given it losing. So, so they can find you in amongst the shrubbery. <laughs> I That's don't, why. I don't want to be found No, in nothing red. in the shrubbery. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> this Irish skin does not like red. And it's not good if you've had, uh, I, you know, I usually try and avoid red. You must have had good sleep, Pam. You've got a oh. nice red T-shirt on. <laughs> no, I'm trying to wake up. Oh, right, yeah. You put something red on in the morning when, when you've had a, a very big day the day before and you look at yourself in the mirror and you think that's just not complimenting the eyes at all. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I'm not pleased with the new colour of the uniform. (laughs) Okay, that number, as I said, 94190155. Do give us a call. Graham, you've got an article there. Is that something you were wanting to share with all of us? Pam, yes. Um, It's it's in a lot of ways good news about what's happening in Australia with our horticulture and agricultural industries. And And in fact, the... Um, and, and it's not being given much publicity at all, but the horticultural industry and um, the fruit industry is leaping ahead in leaps and bounds. And this also, this article also dispels the ideas about us going to feed Asia. We're going to do, you know, play hell with a big stick. But what they're really talking about is that um, to provide good quality um, fruit and vegetables in Australia, us. We need to learn to grow better and better mm. so that we can supply, yes, our own market. Mm. And I've That's always a bit said, radical, Graham. It is radical. <laughs> mm. Any food we eat is only as good as the soil it's grown in. Of course. And I believe that there are times that we eat products that are not necessarily um, well grown and we miss out on a lot of the essential minerals, especially simply because the, the soil that. Um, uh, the the products grown in um, is deficient, bearing in mind that they tell us up to sixty five percent of fertilisers used in soil in Australia is actually locked up. It's mm. not actually being used. It's mm. sitting there, mm. and so then we get problems with um, runoff from that area absolutely into our streams, yes. and, and and creeks, and affecting and sea. things mm. like platypus and, and 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 that sort of thing mm. in our waterways. You know, mm. so. Um, the the big emphasis now as an industry, the horticultural industry, I believe we have a responsibility to work in this area. And I believe a lot of this is beginning to happen with um, awareness through land care. Yes. And that's happening around yeah. around area, our areas as well. And um, we're getting farmers. Uh, we've got one f- uh, fellow that produces um, Black Angus cattle. And um, uh, Paul Fleming, and he's been doing a lot of research um, via uh, organic growers of, of um, grasses and what have you, mm-hmm. and um, producing beef that is that is much better in, in in quality. Just as an example, this is an interesting thing. Bart Cummings, um, the winner of twelve Melbourne Cups, yep. he w- said he was taught by his father that you don't feed um, <clears throat> deficient grains to your horses because it's detrimental to the animals. And so Bart Cummings would buy a batch, for instance, of oats to feed to his horses. But before he, he um, accepted that batch of oats, he would have it tested in a laboratory. Okay. And mm. as you could imagine, Bart Cummings uh, ran quite a, a number of horses and he would buy fair quantities or a lot of tonnage of it. Yep. And he would bring it from regions like Tasmania and other places such as this. And... Um, um, but before he actually accepted it, it had to it had to qualify with nutritional requirements, and not just the look of it. Because I know my father, having grown up in grain areas mm-hmm. um, northeast of Shepparton, 
I've sometimes in the past bought organic wheat to grind or, you know, little sacks of things because we like to grind yeah. things, organic oats, things like that. And he, he picked it – and I, he's my father who I thought think of as a mechanical person because that's how he spent his, most of his life. And he'll pick up this grain and go back to his early days and look at it and say, oh, that's a bit pinched. And I said, "What do you mean pinched?" And you know, meaning that it didn't grow; the grain didn't grow fully, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a good year. And yet, that's being sold as organic and high in nutrition and all that sort of thing. Yes. And yet, that's. I mean, Bart Cummings would have. I'm sure Bart Cummings would have known what a bit of pinched grain looked like. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's obviously more than that, though, because he, because uh, that's something you can see quickly. But obviously, mm-hmm. it went further than that, and he was looking. The other into problem too the with chemical wheat analysis is that wheat is not going to take anything like the increases in temperature that global warming is bringing. Mm. Wheat mm. cannot survive <laughs> if it gets too hot. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in our wheat growing areas, you mean? Because I was going to say, mm. my goodness, it's rather hot in the area I grew up in with. Actually, go wait, it's already no, not, pretty hot. 45 no, but it's in summer. But it's about the, oh, the development coming the earlier. If heat. the heat, come, oh, heat yes. comes earlier, it yeah, will yeah, stop yeah, the wheat, yeah. and it yeah. could make a lot of our wheat growing areas, particularly in Western Australia, become. None. Mm, mm. Well, well, then we start to talk about the area of the responsibility of plant breeders and to be able to breed our plants that are going to take these environmental changes. Mm. And I, I, I believe we've got a real big challenge in that area. Mm. And, well, um, and then they've settled in Paris, so let's hope they've settled sensibly. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. I heard it when I was on the radio waking up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't know what it was. I know exactly, but I, mm. when I heard... Someone from the Conservation Trust say that they thought it was a good thing. I thought, oh, actually, maybe it is a good thing then. Because you sort of think, oh, yes, wait till I hear what this is about. It's yeah. definitely better. Th- I mean, mm. because we haven't been able to move ahead since Kyoto. Mm. So mm. I think what they've done is extraordinary. I mean, Paris, re- they really did plan it properly this time, whereas the last one wasn't planned properly. Oh, so that has helped mm. various... Um, dignitaries to or people of responsibility well, one, one, to get organised to think about it properly. Well, one of the mm. things they did was get the dignitaries in early and then get rid of them. And right. so the hard oh. work was done. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, the, so the Prime Ministers they just, all came in and then left. They're just a face of it, in other words, yeah, and get the actual people that make the decisions, the researchers mm. and the advisors, get them And the public servants, behind it, yeah. yeah. Mm. The thing that I can't understand with this whole issue is um, – a lot of these promises can be made, but who's overseeing them? Yeah. <laughs> and the other problem is that they mm. they make what seems to be great decisions, but then mm. they'll put a time um, scale on it, and it's not going to – they're not even going to start for, mm. you know, 20 years or something, mm. and mm. it's like, hello, you mm. know, we mm. need to get mm. it's pretty urgent. onto this now. Mm. Mm. But, yes, I believe I believe all countries have signed off on, on it. Um, I'm waiting to see the details. Hopefully they'll be released tomorrow. Maybe someone um, will ring us up and tell us. One and, <laughs> one and a half degrees. Is that what they're yes, um, aiming for? which is oh, absolutely That's brilliant. what they've agreed to, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Because they were going for two or more before. Yeah, no, oh, God, one and a half. It's yeah. a couple of degrees. <laughs> However, Australia's going to keep subsidising fossil fuel. Yes. But who knows, Australia. it may be more pressured if, if this... Mm. Um, you know, with Paris, maybe that will help some pressurising. Who knows? But at least, mm. at least, um, uh, our current prime minister has just reversed the the decision on um, on wind technology, and that's full oh, steam ahead that. again. Oh, only, that's only only yesterday. Really, that's been that's reversed. Terrific. So, yes. it was one of my favourite Tony Abbotts. That wind farms are ugly. I just find an open cut mine so attractive. Yeah. <laughs> Well, luckily... Perspective's a great thing, isn't it? <laughs> wind farms can go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. On wind farms, the jury's still out as far as I'm concerned. Really? Yeah, it's still out. 
But um, there's still areas that you can, even if, I know there's people who are quite sensitive to the sound and I have relatives who are not necessarily to wind farms, but sensitive to all sorts of odd sounds mm. that you wouldn't think they could be. So I can understand that could be a possibility. Mm. But there's definitely vast areas where there's no people. Mm. Well, there's yeah. heaps off yeah. in the North Sea off the exactly. at the end exactly. of the Thames. Exactly. They yeah. just yeah. Yeah. fill it up. Mm. It's yeah. fabulous. Yeah, put them out in the North Sea and let the fish worry about them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we oh. must get to our first caller before we continue on. We've got uh, Viv who's down in Mount Martha. Morning, Viv. Good morning. How's everybody? We're well, thank you. Good. Um, I've got one word to say. Thrips. Right. H- help. <laughs> um, the I've never seen anything like it in my life. I've had plagues of passion vine hopper in the past. I've had everything. My neighbours never get anything. Um, but now I have the thrips and they're just here in plague proportions. They're in ropes. They're in, you know, they're in my outdoor blinds. They're just everywhere. Goodness. Um, I've tried white oil. Um, I've tried hosing them. I've even resorted to cutting out a few bushes where they've been plaguing and wrapping that up in a sheet and using spray, I'm afraid, um, just to try and get rid of a couple of million. Has anybody <laughs> oh, has anybody got any suggestions? Mm. We've been using um, areas in the nursery with um, plants that will attract them away from the roses. We've been I don't with... have anything like that. It's all... I've got an all-native garden just to, yes. yes, except for my fruit trees. Right. Well, um... Your biggest need is your, is the predator, mm, and that's mm. the problem with spraying because you'll tend to spray off Not the predator. The predators, mm. exactly. Well, I, I do, yes, I, I wrap them up in a sheet first, but I, I, one of my theories is that we don't have little birds anymore because um, the noisy miners have taken over. Mm. Ah, right. Yes, mm. and... Um, oh, do you think that could be... Well, you need issue? the little birds and you also need yes. the beneficial insects. Yes, yes. I mean, well, the I... thing with thrips is they're not flyers. They don't travel a long distance except on the wind. Yes. It's one of the reasons it's good to spray them. And, you, I mean, I suppose that rain we've had is going to be one of the things that's encouraging them because when you think about it, you find thripping greenhouses all the time. Mm. Okay. Well, your challenge with thrip is that they come in on the wind yep. and they'll come in from the grass areas, you know, way up in Queensland and when we get a mm. northerly wind, they just invade. They know mm. that this strip travel across from New Zealand to Tasmania. Yeah. Um, they've, they've been picking them up in the clouds. And yeah. um, um, what we've been using is we've been using neem, neem oil or yes. not neem oil, neem spray. Now, yes. there's a difference between neem oil and neem spray, okay? Yes. Um, and the, but what happens with the neem, it'll take around, around about a fortnight to work. Right? Oh, I see, because I have, used, I have mm. used that one. Yes, but, and, um, but, yeah. but it will work. As soon as mm-hmm. they, they, they eat some of the neem, they stop eating, but it takes uh. them about 10 days a fortnight to, to die. Oh, okay. And neem works on all... Uh, critters that bite or suck. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. But it yes. doesn't. Amazingly, it doesn't take out the good critters. Yes. Well, okay. that's what I read on the labels because all my little. I don't have many ladybirds anymore, but um, you know the other good little insects. Mm. You know, I haven't seen to be affected, but I, I did panic um, because they didn't. Um, they didn't sort of die immediately. So I'll, I'll give it another go and wait. Mm. Because well, they're in all metal metal shutters and oh, oh. I, I believe that you've got to you know run a campaign 
Mm. Uh, and I think you've got to do it at least once a fortnight. Okay. And then eventually what will happen is the weather will take over anyway and then the real hot weather will knock them off. Ah, uh, all right, that's what back. I was hoping, yes, because there's certainly worse when the humidity goes up. Yes, yes I think mm. that's the case because you always get thrip in, in greenhouses. Yeah. Right. And we have yes. ha- we have had some extraordinary humidity very for us. Humid uh, yes, yes, mm. Very humid weather Yes, very much so. Mm. So I think... I, I, all I, right. I do think that you don't want to spray too much because they no. will go as soon as it gets hot yeah. and dry. No, look, and I, see, I the hate other... spraying. I've always mm. been a, really averse to it, but they're giving me the creeps. <laughs> yes, I can understand that. And the other problem, of course, is is that, I mean, we've been talking about mulching. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember when I was a Londoner, they used to say with Thrip that what you need to do is clear clear the ground so that it didn't have okay. anything to breed in. Yes, well, yes. We don't want to clear uh, our ground. We don't want exposed soil. That might just be one theory. I, th- I like your idea. You were mentioning before to, the, to um, Viv about um, predator insects. So you just need to ha- – I know you said you have a native garden, Viv, but you need yes. to have flowers all year round so that you can have predator insects breeding in your garden. Mm. Yes. That will help anyway. Okay. Maybe not yes. in this kind of um, – Amount of them, but <laughs> we've, yeah. been, we've been using um, Cosmos. We've got a big bed right in the middle of the rose nursery, uh-huh. um, and that will certainly attract them. And calendula, mm, calendula right. really good. Mm. And you'll get calendula. That, you know, you can get calendula to grow through the, the winter time again, which is really good because that's when the time. That's the time that you want to try and. Although if um, she's got a native nursery, she's going to have a lot of flowers in. Winter. No, not a nursery. Just, I mean, sorry, um, yes. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Sorry, if she's got sorry. a native garden, yes. you will. You mm. obviously will have nice flowers in, well, in late winter. Well, I've pretty much got them all year. Mm. Yes. Um, oh, okay. Mm. Yes. Um, but, you know, of course, the thrip are just eating everything now, so the flowers are gradually diminishing. But anyway, look, that's, that's helpful. Thank you very much. Okay. Sorry to keep you. No, that's fine. Okay, the names, thanks. The name spray is the, from the leaves, presumably, but not. But it's more of an infusion rather than the oil, which is distilled. Is, would that be the difference? Um, the interesting thing about neem is that the neem that, um, well, I can mention who it is, organic crop protectants, um, they, they developed the neem after it became available in Australia because a lot of people found that the straight neem oil that was coming in wasn't really very successful at all. Mm. We um, used to use <coughs> neem for the kids when they were little in London for... Knits. Knits. Mm. Mm. That would have gone gone through London from the Indian um, connection, I assume, being that it's an Indian tree, isn't it? Yes, yes it yeah. is. Mm. I don't know, but... Because, um, <coughs> I mean... Be- not a subtropical or a tropical and subtropical mm. tree in London doesn't seem like. Oh no 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 no, no the you know, tree wasn't there. No no, but I mean, how would you you know the connection of how would it have got, got across there. to being yes. used in London? Yes. I remember we had them at the zoo in the main drive when I was an apprentice gardener, and when I was uh, um, sorry, you, know, you had neem trees. Neem trees, yeah, yeah. In the they were in the main drive. I, I wonder if they're still there. I'm not sure now, um, but I remember John Arnott telling me about them because he was my supervising. Yep. Person when I first started and talking about how they were really useful, but it, you know, not that much was known about them then. Mm. So, mm. Mm. yes. Well, of course, the nits were so bad in London because it's so over, you know, so oh. such an intense population, mm. and using well, the poisons, they were becoming um, the the poisons didn't get rid of them, and mm. they were very very strong. And these little heads were getting these awful things yeah, put on. Yeah, terrible. Them. <laughs> and so the, we moved to neem oil. The the, the neem um, is held in in, in um, great regard in India and Sri mm. Lanka. Oh yes, we've even, even had people come into the nursery and seen that we've had neem. And, and one uh, lady told us that in Sri Lanka they 
where people uh, have fever, that they'll make a bed of neem leaves wow. for the person to, to sleep on. Mm. And they, fe- they believe it was quite effective. Okay. Mm. Wow. Let's move on. Next we have uh, Audrey, who's in North Carlton. Morning, Audrey. Good morning, and thanks so much for your program. Um, I might add to the neem story before I get to my point, if sure. I may. And that is that I understand in Kenya they were working with even the neem bark, which was kind of a byproduct, and they put it in some of the little pools that gathered um, due to, well, other things, and they, it killed the mosquito larvae. Really? Yeah. So that sounds like something that I don't know if they followed up. I've only heard of that once, but um, but look, I wanted to follow up with the um, the strips. I had incredible problem with the tiniest strips I've ever seen throughout um, when when things were blossoming and even the artichokes were being the um, leaves were being sapped. Um, and then I recently was, well, and all of my roses are between times, so they're not affected at the moment, and I haven't noticed them in other areas. And the reason I was ringing is I picked some lettuce yesterday, and on it there were five spiders, about five earwigs, and two cockroaches, but no <laughs> holes in the lettuce and no no weeping like the aphids and the thrips yes. do. Okay. And so I've heard that there are helpful earwigs. In the past, I've had earwigs that have made lace work of things. But I'm wondering, I'd like to know more about, if you know anything about helpful earwigs and helpful cockroaches <laughs> well, the... in the garden. Well, cockroaches, of course, vary. We've got those hideous little German things that are just yuck. But then yeah. we've got n- native cockroaches, which are, are good. They seem to just end up in my fire with the native cockroaches. Yes, mm. yes. How do you tell the difference? Well, the native ones are, are much bigger and they're a very dark colour. I heard that they have a, I thought it was supposed to be that they had the little fine white line around the outside of their body. You can see it when you're looking down on them. You see this little white line around the out, outside edge. But I'm no cockroach, cockroach expert. <laughs> Okay, so well, these were the really pale, the the, the light tan ones. I think they're paler too. Nice. Yes, yeah. So I think that's native ones, but we'd probably have to look that up to be. I, I think to be sure. Um, yes, and, and they're supposed to be helpful. Are they carnivorous? And look, we'll no idea. I'll do a bit of research on it, Audrey, yeah. and mm. um, try and get back to the subject next week if um, if you want to have a listen. But I'll I'll take that on board as as some homework to do. And likewise with earwigs. Mm. I, I've heard that there are two kinds of those too, but yep. I don't know how to tell the difference. Okay. I, I would suspect that it's not that there's two kinds. It's just that one of the, I mean, although they might just damage our plants, they will also do good things like all of us, you know. Some of the things we do are bad and some are good. A lot of insects have mm. got... Oh, they might just not be in enough proportion. They might have been sheltering because I always used to find them, or when I do find them in plague proportions in my garden, they're always sheltering in the silver beet or the lettuce. Mm. So they yeah. seem to like sheltering in leafy veggies. And maybe they just hadn't, they were, you know, living there and nibbling somewhere else. Or, you know. 
right. Okay. Because I do tend to, I must confess, I do tend to pour boiling water on those large quantities of them on the bricks and things. Or under oh, bricks, yeah. Well, they, when they, when they, I, mean, I do find, yeah, when they're only in small quantities, they're not really a big drama because I have a lot of earwigs. Mm. Um, but when they're in large numbers, exactly. If you don't let them build up to large numbers, then it's not quite so bad. Like, mm. like If you've got any chickens, they like eating earwigs. Oh, <laughs> I wish I did have. I, I enjoyed them for a short time. There but. are 2,000 different species of earwigs. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, yeah. In 12 families. Good heavens. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. I, I, okay. will, I will look forward to your research. No, yeah, yeah, I'll do a bit more research. Here's and, a beauty. Uh, get back to you. What have you found? Many earwig species display maternal care, which is uncommon amongst insects. Oh, grief. Female, female earwigs may care for their eggs and even after they have hatched as nymphs will continue to watch over their offspring. I feel a bit guilty squashing them Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't, wish I hadn't known that, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thanks for your call, Audrey. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Right, next up we have uh, Billy, who's out in Hoppers Crossing. Morning, Billy. Good morning, everyone. How are you? We're well. I've got a simple question. Um, rhubarb leaves, I know they're poisonous, but can you put them in the compost? Definitely. Yes. That's good. No and problems at all. Thank you. Have a, <laughs> have a nice Christmas. Okay, you too. Right, bye-bye. Bye. That's the only place to put rhubarb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love rhubarb. Oh, rhubarb. Come on. Cooked delicious. in a little bit of orange juice. Oh, mm. yeah. and, oh, oh really? so many things. Okay. Oh, what about, um, uh, oh, hang on a minute, the little um, wooden, sorry, all spice or five spice? I've lost the term. Oh, lost the word. five spice with the pointy bits. Pointy bits. Yes, mm. sorry. <laughs> Sunday morning brain. Yes, yeah, delicious with cooked with rhubarb. Ah, mm. Orange mm. juice and. Mm. Or a bit of orange peel. Yeah. No, mm, I always all just those instead, things instead of put it, you know, because you need things. a little bit of juice at the bottom to start it off. I always use orange juice. Oh, oh, oh I like apple, apple mm. juice. Yeah, mm. um, cinnamon sticks and vanilla pods. Oh, good with rhubarb too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, hey, Graham. It's all hungry. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show in the studio this morning. We've got Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design. Virginia Haywood from the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne and Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clonbanane. So do give us a call. We're running through uh, for another hour until 9.15, our usual time slot. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Virginia, let's talk about some of the plants you've brought in. Well, I've been, just been down to Point Lonsdale and they had... At this time of year, Point Lonsdale is covered in red flowers in trees. It has got heaps and heaps of the Western Australian um, eucalypt. Flowering gum? Except Mm. it's not a eucalypt anymore. Oh, Carimbia. The Carimbia, yes. (laughs) And also it is covered in the Metrosideris. Isn't that gorgeous? It is absolutely Mm. beautiful and they're they're quite big and they're very, very, very covered in red flowers. It's the New Zealand Christmas tree or the Pahutakawa, and it looks absolutely beautiful. It's all all around. It's just these bright red flowers, and it's funny because I often don't like red flowers in the heat. I, I associate I like red in in winter time, but it just brightens up the whole of Point Lonsdale, and I think it's a really lovely tree. The Bees me- really like it too, actually. The, the Pahutakawa, and of course, mm. this has been thre- is a threatened species in New Zealand. Oh, really? Guess why? Why? Possums. Possums. Oh. 
plus clearing. Don't say that word, Virginia. <laughs> plus clearing, but the possums oh, are particular. And it's interesting because they don't seem to be eating them down at Point Lonsdale. Okay. I've never heard of people there. say that they're – I suppose not that many people in the regular suburbs, or maybe along the coast, but not many people in the – inner suburbs of Melbourne are um, growing. There's not that many around. No. Well, it's very much a coastal tree mm. in yes. New Zealand. I mean, the largest is 125 foot across. Goodness. What? <laughs> 38 metres across. There's one in somewhere in New Zealand, in the North Island, that's 38 metres across and 20 metres high, which is... Good grief. You know, How old foot. is this thing? Well, quite. Yeah. And obviously it's too That's big to be, be knocked out by but the possums. That explains why we've got one right on our fence post uh, next to our in the next-door neighbour's house, which I've always quite liked. And then my dad said to me one day, I think your fence post is kind of leaning slightly, and we had to end up, my partner, my dad, and I had to dig up, the, you know, cut the concrete dig it up and put a put a massive metal spacer between the two posts because this this Pahutakawa was just pushing over, it was just invading and just saying, I'm just going to push this fence post over and your gate can just do whatever it wants to do, but it's not going to be straight anymore. So we had to put this massive metal bracer in because that, now I know it's obviously meant yes, to be a really big tree. Be, and, and Strong par- roots. And apparently mm. in San Francisco they're really worried about it because they've used it as a street tree and they think it's wrecking the sewer lines. <laughs> oh, goodness. And there's I'm a, glad my sewer's on the other side now. <laughs> and there's a, a, a town in Spain which has got it as its floral emblem. I mean, it's all over the world. Oh, I But no the idea. weird it's thing really is pretty. that most, you get more of the metrosiderus, not this particular one, not the Pahutakawa, but more metrosiderus in New Caledonia than anywhere else. New Caledonia huh. is such an odd place, you know. It's yeah. got hmm. massive, it's just got massive concentrations of very rare plants mm. and mm. it's so tiny. Oh, yes. hang on, is that, is that native, you mean? Yes, it, it's oh, native there. Is native. Yeah. Yes. Oh, how it, interesting. It's spread. There's one in South Africa, but otherwise it's spread through the Pacific. Right, yeah. Hawaii, yeah. all the islands, mm. back to How many New species Zealand. did you find out? Or not sure? Um, 21 species in New Caledonia and 12 wow. in New Zealand. And, of course, it's nice. Um, I don't use it that much, but as a landscape plant, it's nice to know that there's lots of really small ones, a bit like yes. lily pillies. You, know, you don't have to have a monster. Well, there are even and climbing ones. they're incredibly ones. tough. Truly. In New no Caledonia, idea. there are climbing really? ones, yes. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Good heavens. So I think it's rather fine, the metrosiderus. Absolutely. Incredibly hardy. Mm. We've got time for one more, Virginia, before we well, go to our next call. This one has to be. It's just beautiful. This is the Californian tree poppy. And it's the largest flower of all the poppies. I don't know how much it is across. Six to eight inches across. Would that look? Like that's six inches. I don't know, and it's it's maybe it, varies. Maybe it doesn't yeah. grow as big in Melbourne or something. Oh, mm. mine are bigger. They than can this. get big. I, yes. I mm. picked that down at Point Lonsdale, and it's it's white with a very very yellow boss in the middle. It's sometimes mm. called um, an eggplant, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's sort of Lots southern California. Yes, southern California through to Mexico. I planted mm. one oh eight years ago, and for five years it sat. And it's salt. And it's salt. And it's salt. And I walk past it, I don't know, a thousand times over that five years, think I'm going to pull you out, you bastard. <laughs> but I left it. <laughs> and now it is just striding through my garden. It is. It, it spreads. It's a, a corm and it spreads underground. And it's just popping up everywhere. It's six popping, foot high. Poppies, haha. <laughs> yes. <laughs> poppies popping. It, it's six foot high. It's got this beautiful grey-green leaf. 
So mm. it's lovely before it comes into flower, but I am a bit worried it's going to spread into the paddocks and then I'm going to really have a problem. It's scary. Do you, as a cut flower, I think uh, poppies, you're supposed to um, burn because they, the sap comes out. You're supposed to just sear them with a, a flame quickly and that helps them last as a cut flower better. Oh, I apparently. didn't know that. I'm pretty I'd... sure. That just popped into my head. I don't. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Lots of Accidental, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't tend to take <clears throat> my flowers inside because I think they last longer on the plant. That would be a nice specimen flower, though. It is. It's, it's so an extraordinarily beautiful. big and beautiful flower. Mm. But anybody who's planted it, do not expect it to mm. be happy quickly. They don't like being moved. However, after it actually took off, I did dig up one bit of it and go and put it somewhere else in the garden. No sulking there. It's it's hmm. got the feel. It's wanting it's to spread to as your well. garden. <laughs> it had done its time. <laughs> it was long time. Yes, they always say that they take two years to settle, but I reckon mine took five. Yes, well there mm. you go. Okay, mm. let's go next to uh, Jill, who's in East Brighton. Morning, Jill. Good morning, everyone, and season's greetings to you all. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you. Uh, yes, I, I was just listening to about the business about the tree poppy, and uh, we've got them at our house at Dramana, uh, and. Eventually, one clump got up to be two metres, oh no, three metres, three plus metres, 12 feet. Mm, And that was just underneath the balcony, so the flowers would just come out just, you know, above the level of the floor of the balcony. Oh, right. How beautiful. Oh, just stunning. And and, um, attract all sorts of wonderful insects. There were sort of like giant... um, uh, pollen-collecting ladybirds. They, I mean, I'm, they looked like a ladybird. They had spots and they were big, but and uh, they were, uh, but they were a sort of um, bronzy colour. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and thousands of you know woodland whites and other native butterflies. And yes, and you're quite right. They hate being moved. In the end, it got so huge it was about four metres across the clump, and they kept falling over. Yes, I had to. I had to. I have got them elsewhere in the garden, but I had to finally dig that one out it just did you get it out successfully uh well i'm uh, now mowing over the area it does keep popping up yes. and trying and i feel yeah. really bad about it but i just got to the stage you know where it was so it had just got and I, what i've done is i've planted a, um, a grevillea there thinking well that'll be better for the, for the native birds than the, the tree poppy but i've got the tree poppy elsewhere i'll be in the very garden. surprised if you don't find the tree poppy comes back yes it has does keep trying from time to time. Mm-hmm. I, have to I cut down a bougainvillea 10 years ago. Right. And it's just come back. 10 oh. years. Wow. Mm. Yes, yes. I've had the same sort of thing with wisterias too. Mm. Mm. Some wisterias, of those yeah. uh, yes, climbers are really... Uh, you never get rid of them. <laughs> yes, hard to get rid of. Mm. Anyway, look, I'm coming uh, up with a sort of perhaps a peculiar thing. My um, agapanthus that I have here in East Brighton are not flowering this year, and they've always flowered magnificently. They are um, a darker blue, not the darkest, but a darker blue than the usual sky blue ones, the full-sized ones from my aunt's garden up in the the hills. Um, And uh, they've always been absolutely magnificent. This time, they are in a tough spot. They're under the Illawarra flame tree, but... That's never bothered them in the past. And this year, from about sort of 60 plants, I've got about four flower spikes. I must confess I've never fed them because they never seem to need it. No, no they don't need it. Uh, but I was thinking perhaps I've been, you know, it's just been too, and, you know, we're on very poor sandy soil here on the sand belt. Um, do you think I should perhaps give them a bit of blood and bone? I'm surprised. 
I'm amazed. It's, but it, it is it is a bit early. It's early. It's mine. None of mine are in flower yet. Oh, aren't they? No. Oh, okay. Because they're flowering all around. You know, the normal sky blue ones I've seen all around Melbourne, and I've got four very tall flower spikes that haven't come out, just a bud, mm. but no sign of any any flower uh, you know, buds anywhere else. I've had a really good look. I must confess, my male staffy likes making little caves in amongst them. <laughs> Um, maybe that's the culprit. <laughs> well, he has no, he's not digging. Right. He just goes in and thinks, you know, he's a wild jungle dog in there. Yeah. Uh, takes a stick in to chew and, you know, but, yep. that, but, but that's the only thing. And, you know, again, that, dogs have always done that. I would Maybe wait a bit. Too dry, too. Yeah. No, too I dry wa- for staffies. I've, I mean, <laughs> I've been watering them because it has been so dry and I've got tank water, so I've been... Right. I give them, you know, I've given them... I think water, I I'm think sure. it's a, a a year of not very much progress in that species of plant. The same thing is happening with my agapanthus. Oh, oh, oh really? I've got about um, twenty five at the front gate, and they they look just um, it's a bad year, a bit sad. sad. Mm. Yep. Mm. Oh, okay, so maybe yes, just, just the weather hasn't suited them this year. I have, well, mine. I haven't even looked at mine because I don't expect them to be out yet. But I suppose both you and I are colder than we're, down there. We're colder. Mm. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. I never get them at this time of the mm. year. Right, right. Yes, well, look, I'll, I'll... I don't think I'd give them blood and bone. I think I'd give them something a bit more gentle. Maybe yeah. give them an, a native food if you want to feed them. Yeah, yeah. Because they are South African and they might not... Yeah. And, and they don't need... I mean, a one lot, of the reasons... They really don't need much. Yes, they've well, become weedies. They don't need it. And, you know, they've always seemed to go really, really well. But, uh, yeah, anyway, just uh, normally by now they would be at least you know in full you know in full bud mm. well i think you should tell us in february what whether they came mm. out or not all right all right things I'm are really out of whack time wise yes <laughs> yes yes yeah, as i said you know just these four that have come up sort of suggested you know that it was time and mm. and, and because of all the other you know ones i've seen around the neighborhood they're all all out and are your romnaeas in flower at the moment your tree poppies uh i'm just thinking Yes, they are, and mm. they have been for a little while. They're at Dramana. They're, oh, they're done, yeah. Yes. We're, um, we're, we're sort of next door to Heronswood. And oh, nice. Yes, so that's where they came from. And, um, yeah, they, they, uh, they do really well there. Mm. But as you say, they hate being moved, and um, I, oh, no, I was tempted to move some more round into the garden when I you know, finally attacked the big clump. What would happen, tend to happen with the big clump was, you know, you'd get a wind, and in the, in the end it was just lying flat on the ground mm. and mm. about a sort of, um, you know, 30-foot radius, which, yeah. <laughs> which didn't look terribly attractive. No. <laughs> messy even. Yes, quite messy. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, well, good well, luck with that. Hopefully okay. um, you'll get a few more flowers before the, the season's yes, over. Yes, and yes, I'll keep my fingers crossed for Feb. Thank you, okay. and I'll report back. Okay, bye. Okay, thanks, bye. And next up we have uh, Michael, who's down in Gippsland. Morning, Michael. Uh, good morning, and season greetings to everyone. Thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm calling up about Kikuyu and Kootsgrass, and uh, here in Gippsland, I've, I've well, I've, I've worked in various areas uh, during uh, a, a kind of a um, bush regeneration and uh, digging out weeds and regenerating uh, native areas uh, right. in, just just by as a hobby uh, joining uh, say some of the smaller uh, groups and we'd get out say once 
every month or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and get together and, and do all of that. Excellent. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And one thing that uh, you do, one thing I have definitely observed is that anything Australian, just about anything, any grass, any wallaby grass, any any um, uh, uh, dianella, um, or, or any um, kangaroo grass, all of those uh, native Australian um, garden or native Australian plants have a very, very slow growth growth rate. They have a very, very, very slow growth rate. Now, if you compare that with the evil, the evil peculiar <laughs> grass, um, it is evil. <laughs> it, it, it's an incredibly pernicious, oh, pernicious yes. uh, grass. It it grows sideways. It grows up. Yep. It grows down. <laughs> it grows under the house. In in Gippsland, there's a lot of houses that uh, have the uh, kind of a, a decking kind of around, right. the, around the skirting boards uh, close to the ground. Yep. Now, I uh, don't know how often I've found it absolutely getting in under underneath people's houses. And they might be mowing on the outside, as they do out mm-hmm. here in Gippsland, Uh and this this grass gets under there, and it's an amazing fire hazard. It's just unbelievable mm-hmm. how, how bad it is as a fire hazard. So what I've done uh, in in my area or in my uh, backyard uh, on the nature strip, I've just nuked it. I've just <laughs> nuked it. Just get rid of it. Anything that grows is better than that stuff. Uh, then uh, I find that. So what uh, did during, you nuke it with? Well, I don't like using it. I really don't. I think that's the only thing you can actually kill it with that I've found, really, and it permanently. Takes a couple of, yeah, it takes a couple of hits to, mm. not, not just one year, but it, it might pop back again uh, the following year, depending. Um, then if the area is not attached to any other areas, you, can't, you have got rid of it then in that area at least, if it's not yeah, spreading somewhere so, else. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And uh, I've... Uh, and I found what's replaced it. Uh, there's uh, the Wizzy Digi, which I mm. intentionally uh, in, intentionally introduced, uh, and using that as a, as a lawn. But uh, it's, it's 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 a mixture. It's a mixture. In the winter time, there'll be all different kinds of colourful fungi uh, growing in on the nature strip, which is extremely colourful. Uh, and then there's all different interesting things that grow that. You wouldn't have uh, the the uh, the kikuyu, the uh, the cooch grass just completely displaces. It. It's like as soon as it gets into a native area or a patch where there's native plants, its incredibly high growth rate just cannot match the slow growth rate. Mm. And uh, on roadside vegetation, uh, there's the people that do the mowing, and it sticks to the underside of the mower. Mm, and yes. then when they sh- they shake their blade somewhere else and they actually spread it, so it's spreading. So there's hardly anything that you could call Australian on our roadside vegetation, and then the climate change believers will go and and use the uh, increased fire hazards, which we do get a lot more fires, uh, and they're more intense, which are mainly caused by um, these fast-growing, very, very fast-growing European kikuyu grass, these different... Uh, grasses that grow very, very fast and then dry out very, very fast. Whereas the Australian stuff never did that. No, yeah, so Australia, that's right. And I think the Australian stuff looks better myself. Oh, but which one? The Australian stuff looks better. Oh, you can. I, I can spit. I can spot that sickly kikuyu green from a, a, 
a mile away, but yeah, the Australian green is just—it's—it's it's just got a different spectrum. Yes. When when yeah, it's it's just beautiful. I, I love Australian. So um, yeah, that's it from me. Or, you know, the only thing that, <laughs> well, I'm with you, particularly on the kikuyu, because I've I get it in my garden beds, and getting it oh, out well, is just mm, a well, nightmare. Oh, especially when when people have got a disability or they're getting older, that stuff grows so fast that they're, they're constantly having to get out with a mow and, and you don't even get time to do anything else. Mm. Yes. You need um, um, ch- chickens. Oh, the only place I've seen it be kept back without glyphosate is um, with, uh, say, chickens along a fence line and that they just peck every <laughs> single bit that comes out. They're just constantly at it. So. We'll or goats. Native, we'll put some native chickens in. <laughs> 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 okay, well, thanks for your call, Michael. Yeah, sorry about the vitriol. And... No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I think we're all in, in agreement with you. Okay. Okay, bye. bye. <laughs> you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. In the studio this morning, we've got Karen Sutherland, Virginia Haywood and Graham Sargent. If you'd like to give us a call... The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Graham, you've brought in a rose this morning. Yes, Tell us about Pam, it. Pam, I've brought in um, the famous knockout rose. And the knockout rose is part of now a series of roses. And they're considered to be really good for uh, street landscapes and park areas. Okay. And um, this is what would you call this, ladies? A cerise pink. Mm, yes. Hot pink. Mm. Um, that's a, got a single flower. And this this particular bush has got a perfume, and there's a double knockout, which is a more of a double flower, and then then there's a really light pink that's done very well, and it will form up as a as a bush around about a meter and a half by a meter and a half, mm-hmm. and it will climb if you if you want it to climb, it'll climb. It just doesn't go crazy, but it, if you just train it up up onto something, it will climb really well, and we've used this as part of a planting for the. Um, uh, memorial garden for the fires at Wandong, opposite the Wandong um, shopping centre in the main street in Wandong. All right. And you can see it growing really, really well there amongst various other roses as well. And um, they released this in America. It was grown by a, an amateur breeder in Chicago. And the first year they released it, they sold uh, four million plants of <laughs> this particular lockout. Mm. So they're all in the pinky tonings, yes. Graham, in the yeah. series? Yes. Okay. Basically pink, and there's a real lo- a gorgeous light pink colour. And it's the sort of rose that once it's in the, in in um, a garden, if you wanted to prune it with a chainsaw, you could do that quite easily. Right. Mm. And it's not a big flower, but there's mm. a lot of flowers on the bush. Yes. It's a very, very good um, um a producer of flowers, really good. And rose. long flowering, I'm guessing, repeat yes. flowering. Yeah, it'll go, go for nine months of the year. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, as you say, perfect for street planting or in display mm. gardens. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm. Or for people or people with big properties or, say, um, people who just don't have time but they mm. like to grow roses. But a lot of a lot of the conventional roses grown, as mm. you would know, mm. are not really suitable for people who don't know what they're doing. So no. No, <laughs> it sounds pretty, like a good rose for that. Pretty easy care, sort of very good, yes. really easy care rose. Yeah. Excellent. Good. And usually roses like that, like the flower carpet, say, they don't have much of a perfume. So it's really mm. interesting that, that has, this, this mm. one has a perfume. Yeah, it's got a perfume. And you can cut Cut it on stems and it'll hold up in the vase as well. Mm. So it's really, really... Um, a good all-rounder. Mm. Versatile. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Excellent. Okay. 
Uh, as I mentioned, that number, if you'd like to join in, 94190155. Next up, we have uh, Michael out in Blackburn. Morning, Michael. Oh, hello. Yes, go ahead. G'day. Uh, basically, um, uh, a really good solution for that, uh, for KQ and all that sort of thing is uh, uh, very simply vinegar and um, you, you have two litres of vinegar and about a cup of uh, salt. Very simple. Um, it, it, that was featured on um, Gardening Australia some, some time ago. Uh, and I've tried it. Uh, you, you, obviously, you've got you to avoid, you know, rainy weather and all that sort of thing, but um, it seems to really work. Mm, I do worry about what that's doing to the soil. Yeah, though. true, mm. true. It's good in paving. You, that we use vinegar and salt in paving. You've, but... got to, you've got to put it in, in a... Um, uh, yeah, just keep it on the plant, not not in, on the soil sort of thing. Mm. It's a bit tricky, but um, it, it seems to work. Uh, it's very cheap anyway. You know? Yes, so, true. Yeah. Yes, as you say, Karen, um, amongst paving it would be... Um, it works quite well, that sort of thing. Yeah, yes. At least that's good that the recipe's there because, of course, you can buy all those ready-made salt and vinegar type yeah. sprays like that, but then that's a lot of packaging, a lot of buying of yeah. product yes. and transport of liquid. Uh, you could try, I mean, when... Um, Michael's talking about keeping just on the plant, I guess. I don't know if they already mentioned, but you could try making little cardboard um, protectants for the soil. I suppose, you know, putting a piece of cardboard behind the plant and then spraying, say, so, you, so any oversprays going onto the cardboard, not the soil, that mm. could be a try. It's not going to kill the roots, though, I have to say. I saw it on a, on a DVD recently, um, just on Gardening Australia sort of thing. Um, mm. um, and, uh, you know... Um, wouldn't work at my place. Yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's one of those things you've got to sort of... Uh, I, 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 I tried it and then it rained for, you know, four days sort of thing. So, <laughs> you know. Could you repeat the formula again for the listeners, oh, please? About two, two litres of, of vinegar and um, a cup or two of, of, of salt. Mm. With how much water? Uh, no, nothing else. Nothing oh, wow. Else. Yeah, you yeah. definitely wouldn't want that in your soil. No, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. the problem. It's, it's, it's sort of like it um, um, sounds vicious. It's obvious, but it's sort of um, um, you would you wouldn't normally sort of uh, think of it, sort of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay. I've, I've got a friend who uses salt to kill the weeds on her tennis court, mm-hmm. and she's been doing it for years, and I just cannot believe it is good. Because no. when the rain comes, it must be sending salt. Yes, mm. exactly. Salt into her garden. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm. It just no. doesn't seem to me. I think you just had to be very prudent with that, I suppose. Yes, yes, that is a method of dealing with kaikuya. It's one of them. It won't kill the weeds, but you would never won't want to Won't kill the roots. In, sorry, the roots. Yeah, sorry, not kill Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you just couldn't use that habitually or continually in any soil situation. Well, as I said, she's been doing this to her tennis court for at least 10 years that I know of, and I just don't think... I keep it's, saying, it'd be I don't great think to have this a salt is a good idea. Of the soil yes. around the edges. Or yeah. you, I suppose you could just plant incredibly salt-tolerant plants around the edges to take it up or something, some salt bushes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. you, have to, still, you have to be careful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, see, people, people want to use, um, you know, garlic sprays, etc., and put dishwashing liquid in. Well, the thing that kills frogs is not the Roundup. It's the the, the equivalent of the dishwashing liquid that is put a in to make agent. it a stick, to make it very, a Very, very tiny amounts and then not near creeks. All these things you have to use with awareness and with thoughtfulness and, and knowledge frogs, about what you're doing. Not frogs just... cannot take dishwashing liquid. Mm. If you've got frogs in your 
soil because some of them do yes. dig down a lot of, in a lot of native frogs do dig down into the soil so you have to be very the, very careful i've got pobble bonks all through my garden in the soil mm-hmm. and so, i mean what time of the year are they in the soil virginia do you, can you explain that or do you know actually well, I've, we found them at various I've, times, but I wouldn't know I've 100% dug them up when they're meant to be there. in the soil. Yes, okay. So it actually, makes me nervous because actually I don't the, want to go through them. There you go, because we've got a client in um, uh, Lake Grove, North Coburg, so they're right next to the Merry Creek, and we put a pond in for them years ago, and the frogs breed in there. So around winter, spring, if you go there, you've got sometimes we've actually observed the frogs in their um, mating. <laughs> it's very interesting watching the frogs mate. It's like a nature channel. And then you'll have the frog spawn. But we had some um, – I might have just answered this question because we had some Germana toppings there piled up that we were putting – we'd you know, put there in late October, mid-October, and then we we're coming back later to take away some of the excess that we you know, hadn't been able to spread on their paths. And the young guy who moved it for me said to me, I found, I was talking about frogs in the ground, and he said, oh, I found eight frogs in that Dramana toppings because it was right next to the pond. Yes. So, that, yeah, maybe that tells you that they start going into cool ground. Like, I don't know enough about their whole growth, their whole life cycle and what they do, but evidently even in November they were digging into the soil. I thought they would have done that in winter, that's all. So, well, no, I mean, I've found them recently in this yeah. late spring, mm, definitely. In the ground. So in maybe the ground. that's their way of, of staying cool. So cool and, for summer. Yes. Maybe it's for summer that they go into yes. the soil. Mm, yes. Mm, mm. I just don't know enough about them. Mm. Mm. You've brought in a whole lot of produce. Uh, we haven't mentioned it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a chat about it. Um, I've got dried herbs just to sort of explain that, you know, this is a good time of year before the thrips or whatever else. I mean, I've got um, rust coming into my mint. So you've really got to get in there early just when you start to think, oh, wow, the herbs are looking fantastic. Right, cut some then and preserve some. So I'm drying some. And of course, that's nice to give to people for Christmas. So I've got some chocolate mint and some um, savoury of Crete that I had to cut back because of the, effusive, the crazy spring growth. Um, then I've got some honeycomb. So it's all sort of late spring harvest, I suppose. Honeycomb, I didn't of that early that early harvest was just not enough to be able to spin out, and so I quickly cut it out of the frames, and it just wasn't an, it was an early harvest, so that way you can enjoy the honeycomb and you can you can eat it, and you can see that some of that's been capped and some of that not, so that you know the waxy covering over the top is yes. the capping, so yes. that's a hundred percent finished honey but some of it wasn't and so it's not as suitable for spinning out and using as honey but it's perfectly great to eat so you've got that early spring uh, fruit tree type honey Mm. really delicious and I didn't know until another beekeeper told me and I now do that that it's really tasty to just have chunks of that on say your fruit and yogurt or with muesli and yogurt and fruit for breakfast so if you eat it that way with another pro you know with another food you kind of just chomp up the wax, which is perfectly fine for you and apparently has lots of good things in there, um, lots of healthy things. You know, it's perfectly good for you to eat. Uh, if you have it, if you just eat the honeycomb by itself, you'll end up with wax in your mouth like chewing gum, say. Yes. But if you have it with fruit and yogurt or, or, or muesli and yogurt, you can just eat it the way it is and you won't even know you're eating it and just goes the wax just, you know, heads down to your stomach with everything else and doesn't hurt you in any way. And then I've got... Some extremely early apricots for me because usually they don't ripen until after Christmas. No, at least that's Christmas right, time. yes. So I was caught by surprise and I was saying to Pam before the show, I was not really ready to be watching the tree and taking off the mm. bird-pecked ones. And so as a consequence, the birds have come across and seen that one bird's pecked and that's a sign for them all. And so they've been heading on in in droves while I've been busy and not realising. 
Um, so, yeah, if you can take off the bird pecked fruit, you can stop them realising. Uh, and also any blush of um, colour, the birds also see. So, they you instantly know, zone in, don't in, they? You know, so I've missed a lot of them this year. And, and I was saying to Pam too, the birds seem incredibly hungry this year, possibly because it's been so dry and the other sources of insects and worms and things that they would normally eat have just been shriveling up or anything mm. else wild. So, um, yeah, they're really – even with my netted berries, I had some thornless young berries early on, which are fantastic – and I netted them but didn't quite get right down to the ground. And so the blackbirds have gone in underneath. Yes. They couldn't care less. They're bold as brass. I just, and aren't they ever? Stripped the, I mean, I got some early fruit. The rest of them just, are just gone. Yes. So I've noticed it's been a harsh year for, for I've fruit. noticed in the um, fox scat because I seem to have a lot of foxes oh, at the moment. Okay. Mm. And they've obviously been into the grapes. Oh, already? Mm. Um, unripe grapes. Mm. Pam was talking about putting... Yes, I, um, I really must. That, that's my job for today. I must go and protect my grapes because mm. because the, the grapes, the individual grapes are starting to fill out. So I'm thinking, you know... I can't believe the foxes would be eating them this young. I know that pretty soon if they get much bigger again, yes, they will get eaten by the birds. It's incredible and, and how the early... Possums, yeah. Oh, possums are eating them really, yes. really unripe. Yes. Great. And, <laughs> and I... Bought from from one of the places just around me because I'm surrounded by um, fruit farms, and I bought some apricots and I thought these are very early. Yeah, the, yeah, it's really odd because we had such the ch- un- and the cherries this weather. year in the valley are so prolific. Mm. If anyone's thinking of what something to do today, go for a drive up to the Yarra Valley and buy cherries. They are so cheap mm, and they are so well, divine. I'm, I'm madly harvesting raspberries every day now. Oh, how nice! I mean, they're just ripening overnight. It's crazy. I'm, you know. So I'm into my big raspberry bushes. Actually, I was Every wanting day. to re- remind people because mine suffered a bit just because the apricot tree is over the top of them, so they're getting more and more shaded out. But it's also stopping the moisture getting to them, and I forgot I was forgetting to water them as much. And just reminding people, keep watering your raspberries because otherwise mine started off well and then dwindled because I failed to keep watering. Oh, yeah, really? They, they yeah, just get yeah. skinny, don't they? Yeah, they just got really small and, mm. um, yeah, really sad looking and that was the end of that. Oh, that's a <laughs> Well, shame. They'll, they'll come back in autumn probably. But, yeah, yes. you've obviously been very consistent with your watering. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, whereas apricots say they're a, they seem to be something that if you don't water as much, they'll just keep on growing. Yes. You might not get as big a fruit at the end. But berries seem to be so, maybe because they're so small, they're so sensitive to a change in moisture. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I certainly have been keeping the water up to mm, mine. So, mm. um, and they get knocked as soon as the really hot weather comes in. Yeah, mine did. So, yeah, obviously Pam's looking yep. after hers properly, and I did in the past, but, yeah, just haven't this yep. year. Yeah, but I've also, I was, I was telling you, Karen, I've also noticed that my um, apricots have coloured up early this year. It's quite yeah. phenomenal. Really, really. It's really odd because we had such inconsistent warm weather. Yes. So it's odd, but it's just happened that way. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Some triggers occurred. Yeah, but that's that's all part of gardening, isn't it? Seasonal Observing, change, and it yeah, happens every yeah. year. There's always yeah. a surprise mm, or two. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's quite amazing. Okay, we'll go next to uh, Joan, who's in Camberwell. Good morning, Joan. Thank you for the program. Um, missed the name of the rose that uh, Graham mentioned. Um, after he mentioned it, he kept, or you all kept mentioning it or whatever, and I've missed the name of the rose, please. It's knockout. Oh, thank you. And thank you very much for the program and season's greetings. Okay, thank <laughs> you, Joan. Thank Bye. you. So, 
Um, does it have uh, a further name, or because no. you said there's there's three oh. or four in the series, and well, they're in the knockout series? If you go for the light pink, it's blushing knockout. <laughs> then there's double knockout, and then there's just the plain knockout. And this one's the plain so knockout. The whole thing's a big knockout. <laughs> <laughs> I do think the names they're giving to plants are getting worse and worse. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Virginia, um, that brings me to plants, um, your little group. Plants Trust. Plants Trust. Yes, I, I we, was going to say another had, name, but yeah, Plants we Trust. Had a, we had our weekend up at Macedon last weekend. It was so lovely. We went up to Alton, which I'd never been to before. I Oh, the trees. I have never seen anything like it. It's right up the top of the hill. I think it's the last property before it just goes into into the bush. And it's steep and it's facing back to Melbourne, so it makes it south-facing. And the, the monkey puzzle trees, I've never seen mm. such big monkey puzzle trees. Right. And it's incredibly, it's this very dense, I suppose, really, you'd say an arboretum hmm. um, with these huge trees. And Stephen was explaining that when they first came to Macedon, they just cleared it. The 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 government, the colonial government, just cleared really? the whole mountain. Wow. And then you've got this cleared mountain with no more eucalypts on it. And they thought, oh, what are we going to do? So then they started <laughs> parceling it out. Okay. And as people took parcels, they had to reforest it. That was part of the terms. And, of course... The Blue Mountains, uh, the Yarra Valley, the Dandenongs, none of those places developed as early because there was infrastructure there for the gold because so, people mm. went past Macedon to get to the gold. So, Of course. So, And it was on the right side of town. People were living in Williamstown. They were putting factories up in Footscray. So it was on the right side of town for people to be looking for some sort of hill station, somewhere cool to go in the, in the summer. And that's how a lot of those amazing hill station gardens developed in Macedon. It was be- mm. And it happened much, much earlier right. and, and, elsewhere. And, and the government actually paid them to clear it. Yes. You, know, you paid so much a tree to clear it. I mm. remember my, my well. grandfather who lived at Warrigal, he said, Gray, those trees there, the government used to pay us to knock them down. We mm. get into them and he cut them up for firewood. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah, amazing, mm. wasn't it? Yes. Mm. Goodness me. Mm. And it's, I mean, really, Macedon is very special. Oh, Extraordinary. Certainly. Yes. 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 And it's amazing when you think about the, the clear and and the recovery. Yes. Like the recovery, it's it's just a, a amazing place just to drive through and and it's just a, it's a world all of its own, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And you know, I, I was looking at this and thinking, I'd be terrified living here because it's. That's what I was, so, I was thinking when you told me that. <laughs> it's so very when dense you you with there. trees, with mm. huge trees. Mm. Yes, but of mm. course they're they're European and North American trees largely, mm. or and Nepal and wherever else. And I I don't know. I mean, Stephen, if he's listening, he'll no doubt tell us all next. He's on next week. Yes. Yes. He'll no doubt tell us. But I would have. And and this hasn't been burnt. Quite clearly, it hasn't been burnt. Mm. The fires have mm. been up to the property, but they haven't been through it. That's interesting. So, and, you know, we know if you plant European trees around your house, they're not going to burn nearly as easily Mm. as eucalypts. So maybe planting – but I've got a lot of um, Pinus radiata, you know, the pine tree they use Mm. for Mm. for paper, and that 
that doesn't burn as bad as eucalyptus, but it burns. It, I was going to say know, that would burn, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes. yes. You yeah. know, you hear, you yeah. know, you can buy pine oil. I mean, you know about pine oil. Nobody ever tells me about oak oil or beech oil, <laughs> you know. And anything that's oily is obviously going to explode in the heat. Mm. So the, I don't the, know. the reality in the fires is when the fire does go through, it does leave patches. And this is what we found after the um, uh, Ash, uh, Black Saturday fires and the Ash Wednesday fires around our area, even up through Mount Disappointment and places like that. There's definitely been patches left. And so there's regeneration happens from there and there's natural seeding happens. Mm. And, um, of course, with the ash, which is up on Mount Disappointment, um, that has come back in a vengeance now. It's, Ash it's is a tree. A, yes, mm. yes, just amazing. And the lyrebirds are really um, starting to um, breed and breed Mountain up. ash, you mean? Mm, yes, yeah. yes, mm. mountain ash, mm. yeah. And they're doing a, a lot of logging out of that area as well. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. Which is good. Yeah, well. well. No, I, I can't bear it when I see because mm. I look out over these, you know, mountains and hills mm-hmm. and I'll just suddenly see they've just clear-filled an area. Mm. I just I can't believe that it's the way to go. You know, just completely clear fell an area. So all I mean, there's pygmy possums up there. Mm. How are the pygmy possums who they're tiny? How are they going to get out when they clear fell a whole area like that? Mm. It's just ridiculous, I think. Well, it, you know, in in reality, it's providing a fire break back on Mount Disappointment again. There's a there's areas where there's fire breaks because of what they're doing with clearing and taking timber out, and it's much better than than using aluminium for framing for houses and that sort of thing. So there's, you know, there is definite advantages in, in using forest and timber. So, But you don't have to clear fell. And, you sh- mm. and, and they should be leaving some of the old trees. Mm. I, I mean, the reason I, um... we don't have the, 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 the red-tailed blacks is because all the big old trees have gone and there's nowhere for them to nest. I must ask my brother-in-law more about this because um, in Switzerland, because they have their little, little tiny forest. So they have a little forest as part of their family land in the country in Switzerland, and they go through every year. And a forester comes and looks at trees and chooses which ones to take out. And so they take out individual trees. Okay, that's just providing firewood for them, or they can sell some tree, you know, for their to heat their houses, which they have to. Uh, it's very cold. Um, they, and it takes two years for the wood to dry too. Uh, mm-hmm. um, really? Very different to Australia. Okay. <laughs> so much moisture. Yep. Uh, but I must ask him about how they do it commercially because I did read in a permaculture book, and I can't tell you which one, I'm sorry, a, a statistic, so this is you know completely unresearched, um, but it said that Switzerland grows 75% of its wood that it needs and they, they do a lot of timber framing still. So mm. I, I must – and there's a big population density there. I must ask him a bit more about – well, how does this really happen and do they clear fell or, you know, what, what, how are they well, in generally Germ- harvesting? In, in Germany they've got huge mm. forests and they're mm. very careful about how they harvest. It's interesting we to know. We clear fell because we export. Mm. 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 It's not well, because we're doing... Well, they timber that they use there. So I'm really yes. interested to find out a bit more about that from him and you know, about mm. the practices because they, they have some pretty careful practices in Switzerland. You know, they pay the farmers, say, to... This is going on something completely different. But, for instance, they now know... They leave we because our our roadsides are not weeds like that man was talking about um, earlier about the the kakuya man um, anti kakuya man. 
their wheat, their roadsides and around the edges of their crops are um, native flowers. Mm. So they pay the farmers to leave those until they set seed so that they'll come up next year. Mm. And so they also know that therefore it feeds the native insects, the birds, the whole thing, and they, they've got the whole cycle going. So farmers are paid to leave those and then you see all of a sudden they mow them down because they know well, we've reached that point, we've set seed, I'll now get my payment. So then then they go through and get rid of them so that then it's clean to take their crops out and things like that. So mm. it's um, carefully managed interaction between nature and agriculture. It's really interesting. They do all sorts of interesting stuff over there. Mm. Mm. Oh, how fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Virginia, we've got a chance to talk about a couple more. Well, this one I think is rather gorgeous. This is a diorama, fairy fishing rod or angel fishing rod. It's um, It looks like a grass, really. It, you know, I've got mm. a clumps of it that must be... Five foot across, and wow, and it <laughs> and it, it's the same height, you know. Mm. And, and these, and then you've got these beautiful big, mainly <coughs> I've got mainly pink ones. You can get a bluey lavender one, oh, and you I've can seen get white one ones. Mm. And the flower is actually quite large. See, there's there's one, two, three, four flowers on that bit, and it hangs down. So, and they because they're on this such tiny, thin stalks, they move in the slightest wind. Mm. So they're really very lovely. It's it's a corm and it's evergreen, and it really does look when it's not in flower, it does look like a big clump of grass. Right. And the and the flowers are all up the stem, and the stem can be one point five meters. Oh long. gosh, yes. So it's I a- remember bringing one in one year and it nearly touched the ceiling. Really? <laughs> yes. And you, you, neither of you, I would have thought of, would have had really moist gardens because I've always associated. Oh them no, with they're, they're gardens. very drought tolerant. They just taught me something really interesting. They're mm. South African. They come from oh, KwaZulu Natal. Oh, I didn't actually realise that, mm. right? Because mm. that would be a great fun thing to put in school gardens, say, oh, for yes. children. Oh yes, yes. Um, you do because they don't, you know, get to water so much. <laughs> you yes. do see them planted by streams and by. Um, I think that's why I ponds. thought that they yes. were. It's, it's part very of that, much yeah, part I of that soil profile. Into, I think they came mm. into Britain in sort of the eighteen hundreds, mm. and you, very much they. I mean, they plant them in gravel gardens, but they seem to love planting them by ponds. Mm, that's and of what, course my they, misconception where that came from. Mm, I think, <laughs> but it could be because they're called fairy fishing rod or angel's oh, fishing rod. Oh yes, because yes, they okay. do. So it's nothing to do with how hardy they are. Yes. Yeah, oh, that's great to know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. but mine, mine are certainly in a very dry area of the garden. They, they mm. don't get much water, and um, mm. oh, they and and, and they will they will gently self seed. They they mm. don't become a problem. Mm. But I have noticed, you know, I get little clumps. Um, mm, coming mm. up, which which will then take a couple of years to really develop and then start mm. flowering yeah, again. But seem to be very fast growing. I was surprised that they Virginia don't like being them. moved. Oh, okay, so if right, you move yeah. them, it'll take a good few years. Mm. I think they are weedy in New Zealand. With that extra, maybe, moisture. but I've, I've but certainly then, never found them weedy in my garden. No, but I I have managed from one clump. I have now got about three hmm. clumps. So it's over over a gradual period of time mm. they've. You know, mm, they've walked mm, a little way, but mm. fairly close to the parent plant. I'm surprised that I've never seen them used as a cut flower because they're, they're incredibly oh, they're interesting. Stunning. Mm. Yes, they're and stunning. I, I suspect that they would last as a cut flower. Yeah, I've never tried myself. And they will, They, it, as Pam said, these seeds, which these top bits are seed, and they will grow. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. They will mm. grow. They they do, you will find them. They will self-seed. Self-seed yes. around. Mm. 
Yep. But they are a corm, you don't so you can dig yeah, them up Yeah, I didn't realise well. that. I just thought they were a grassy plant because it's been so long since I've dealt mm. with them. I think mm. it was at the zoo years mm. ago, which was a million years ago. Mm. So No, mm. they're as tough as, mm. And, mm. And, and they also don't get uh, knocked by my frosts. Oh, okay. So they really are an all-round They're an all-round tough plant. Mm. Um, and do you buy them from perennial growers? Because I haven't seen them very often for sale. Um, I got mine originally from diggers. Oh, okay. So I guess so that's a they perennial, are around. perennial yeah. nursery. Yeah, yeah. Perennial yeah. nurseries yeah. should have I, them. I've mm. got all mine. I've got about five lots, but all mine have come from my most usual source, which is friends. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just write down the name of that nursery for me? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But I think I do think they're a very quite a special plant. I think they're lovely. They're very mm. very unusual, and that's always you know, something that as gardeners we we look for. Oh, something different. Yes, <laughs> they're not. I think again, in a, they're not very well suited to a small garden because they do get big, and when they're not mm. in flower, they just look like a fairly ugly grass. I suspect grasses you, look nice. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I like. Wild looking grassy things. But some things. grasses look better than others. I don't true, think... true, true. Do you cut yours down, Pam? No, mm, no I just I leave either. them. If I, if I, I suspect if I really cleaned it out and cleaned out the dead bits in it, I, it would I look clean better. out the dead, the dead leaves. Mm. Yes, I do that um, at least once each year. But I don't actually cut the the green foliage. Mm. Yeah, I've got one clump that's so big that I can't get in and clean it all out. But at the moment it looks fabulous because it's just yep. in big flower. Yep. Mm. And as I say, I mean, Virginia's brought one in that's only got, got one lot of flowers. Mm. But um, but on your mature uh, flower stalks, you'll have these hanging all the way along. Oh, right. And so it's, it's a long time. Yes. I, and I can't remember just, it now. It's, it's 1.5 it. metres long, you know. It's, wow. a, it's a long flower stalk and you'll get six or seven. Or yes, it. all mm. hanging off it and, and waving in the slightest wow. breeze. You know, or even birds will come in, and you'll see the whole oh. thing bobbing, and wow. just just a delight in the garden. Hmm. And Very... underneath it, I've got now. This is an, another weed. I grow lots of weeds. I've, I've got <laughs> Good my, weeds. my my lichness growing underneath it. I, often it's called rose campion. Oh, thank you. That's the name I was trying to remember this morning when you showed it to me. I was mm. thinking, I have no. And of name. course, the purple and the purple mm, just beautiful. looks fabulous together. And the le- I think one of the things that's nice about the rose campion is that the leaves are very grey. I find that it's popped up all through my garden. I've got a white mm, they one. They do seem to self-seed, don't they? They do, mm, yes. I And I'm vicious with it, you know. I, I'll let it grow because if I leave it growing around things that are young, it, I find that protects the young thing from the rabbits a bit. They get They don't notice there's something good in behind it. Hmm. And then I'll just rip it out because something else is competing for the space. Mm. And no matter how much I rip out, it always comes back. Mm. And be, and I like the very grey leaf. I've become very attached to having different leaf colour in my garden. You know, I'm planting a lot of things that mm. have got the magenta leaves. Um, and mm. we were talking before about the rumex, you know, like I love oh, that, yeah. that dark red through the mm. green. Mm. I, and the grey leaves in I, part of my garden, I've put lumps of grey leaf things just because it lifts that area even when there's no flower. Mm. So for the listeners, Virginia, the grass is called what? The the fairy fishing rod. It's fairy a, fishing rod. A, a diorama is its um, proper Pulcarima name. Pulcarima is the only species I know. Yes, diorama yes. pulcarima. Mm. That's, yes. that's its name. Mm. So, so you could get seed from diggers? 
I'm sh- and I'm sure you'll find plants. I, I would imagine that the Wandon Nursery would have maybe have families it. might even have it. Yes, I'm know. sure. I they would, would. I would say mm. they definitely mm. would. Yeah, especially now you've told me it survives in the dry. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Mm. But um, yes, getting back to the the lickness. Yes, um, as you mentioned, it comes in a white as well. Mm. Um, but I've now got, as you've seen in my garden, I've actually got a combination of the yes, two colours. That was wonderful. Yeah, so oh, it's, it's actually yes, it's oh, a cross. Lovely. So it's it's mm. obviously cross pollinated. Yeah. Mm. So I've got I've got the dark um, magenta center and the white outside. Oh wow! It's, yeah. it's You've really, got a new variety. It's really lovely. Lickness yeah. Pam Vardy. <laughs> <laughs> it did it all by Look itself, it, folks. <laughs> see, this is a, they in Britain they used to call this Dusty Miller, I think. Okay, rather oh, than okay. Rose Campion, but mm. it's. I thought your mix one, white with the pink through it, was absolutely fabulous. Mm. And I've got white and I've got pink. And I haven't got but you haven't had the no, combination. I haven't got the Pam Vardy. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I would like it. <laughs> I might have to get hint, that hint. from that friend nursery. Again. <laughs> That's the best nursery. <laughs> Definitely. But I very much find things like this. I, I have to find the things that will protect my other plants from the mm, rabbits. Mm, mm. Um, there's one one bed. It's right. a very permacultural type of way of looking at your mm. garden in a way. You're looking to use things that look after each other. Yes, mm. yes. Mm. And you I, have to harvest the rabbits, Virginia. Yeah, <laughs> there's, had, there's another permaculture I had idea. some kids come in the other day yeah. with ferrets and they took out 12 and I just thought, oh, those kids, you can come anytime. Good children. Did you pay mm. them? Oh. I wasn't there. Somebody, my neighbour rang up and said, can these kids come idea. in? I said, yes, good yes, please, take them in. Mm, good. And That's they got great, 12. Mm. But 12 amongst thousands. Oh, don't. <laughs> mm. They need to start a they business, to, those enterprising absolutely, kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I won't let people shoot rabbits on my place because I'm, I'm long and thin. So really you can only shoot up and down mm. and I just mm. don't trust people not to mm-hmm. shoot across. And if mm. you shoot across, you'll be immediately, the bullets will be going into somebody else's property. Mm. Yeah, not a good Are idea. Are you listening all the <laughs> ferreters out there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, yes, because we've got one ferreter down on Phillip Island. Yes. He's very successful. And I yes. just, I can't find enough ferreters for my place. They're mm. absolutely welcome. My parents wouldn't mm. mind some ferreters. And, <laughs> and when I was down the Bellarine the last couple of days, I saw two hares. And I thought, why can't I have hares instead of rabbits? I oh, thought the hares were beautiful. They're, they're lovely, but they sit up on their hind legs and they chew the bark of trees. You have to keep tree guards around trees. Oh, well, my I'm, parents have this I problem. I have to do that. For with... lo- but for many, many, many years, because you take them off, you think, oh, the bunnies won't do that anymore. No, the hares really like the bark of trees and they'll just ring bark trees again and again. Oh, mm-hmm. hares, hares are new shifty. Trees. I have one slides mm. through the, the gap in my front gate. Oh, really? Yes, oh, he's a shifty little devil. They're lovely looking, yeah. I agree. They're beautiful. They're nice long ears, yeah. but yeah, and they, they're just as naughty as rabbits. Yeah. Do they breed as quickly? They, they mustn't because like, you, you never see as many see. hairs. No. I no. think they cross with wallabies now. There's that many <laughs> 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 Oh, dearie me. We've got a couple more or one more plant here, Virginia. Well, this this is my one of the clematis. I, I don't know how many clematis I've planted. Philadelphus, no. No, it's a clematis, this one. Oh, it, really? It was climbing, yes, yes. And um, I just I just love my clematis. I just think, and people think they're difficult to grow, but again, I find as long as you prepare the soil and keep it cool. They have to have cool roots, that's and I, the thing. And I tend to, I even put bricks around them when I plant them. Yes. Mm, just mm. To, so there's... And how do you prune them? Well, it depends. Some I don't. I haven't mm. pruned. I've got the um, the really early flowering one 
the Armandii. Mm-hmm. And I have oh, it for a couple of beautiful. years. Oh, that's beautiful. The evergreen. Yes. I've noticed that the, the sale again now. the normal hybrids? What, how do you treat them now, Virginia? Well. Like, because there's a lot of people out there with questions about because there's two, there's supposed to be two groups, and I don't. Oh no, there's four groups. Oh, okay. There's as far as pruning, though, no. yes, there's okay. four groups. Four pruning. I mean, I, okay. I don't think that the pruning is nearly as important as people think. I mean, mm. when you don't know what you're doing, you prune straight after flowering. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when if you don't standard rule of thumb. Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the big flowered ones, you prune right down to the ground. I was just going to say because some of us need to have that. I don't know. No, how far I, down I do prune, you prune? I prune them in autumn, and I'll prune them. Some I'll prune to the ground, but others I want them to get higher into mm-hmm. whatever they're growing. Mm-hmm. And one I forgot to prune last year, and it's just spread over the ground and popped up here and popped up there over other things. Mm. So it doesn't matter if you don't. There's nothing wrong with it. When, as a when, listeners, when she was talking about popping up, that's around about two meters away. Yes, two meters yes, away. a long yeah. way. You know, so yeah. I, I had planted it next to a climbing rose, so it'd yeah. go up that. But it's mm. also gone gone up a couple of other roses that are much further down in the mm-hmm. bed, and it's yeah. also lying on the ground in parts, and the, and the flowers sit there and. I think the flowers are so beautiful, I don't mind where they are. Mm. But I have planted them specifically around a lot of trees. And hasn't caused any problems in the climbing rose? No. No? No, they're not. They'll compete with one another? Well, yes, not badly. The stems are so delicate. Yes. Yes. I suppose. Yes. No, they they don't compete. No, No, they're fine. And they don't seem to compete... For the goodness in the soil, either. Yeah. Then, I mean, you know, you, you, I'll feed the soil the years that I remember to do it. Mm-hmm. But the flowers are actually amazing for the for the weakness of the plant. Mm. Really, yes. aren't they? Oh, mm. incredible! They look so weak, I've, and they're I've so got fragile. two that I should always prune, and one that I always prune, which is the Nepulensis, because mm. it is it's the winter flowering one. Mm. And it's huge. It just climbs all over the my, the frame I've got over my vegetable garden, and it gets too big. And also I find it pops up all through the vegetable garden, so I suspect oh. it's weedy, so I have to get it off before... Seedling or suckers? Seedlings. Yeah, okay. Mm. 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 Well, would you believe we've run out of time for yet another week? Um, you have been listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We'll, of course, be back at uh, 7.30 next week for our final show of the year. A big thank you to all the team on air and especially to Jenny, who's been handling all the calls this morning. But as I say, we will be back uh, 7.30 next week. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.